We've got the pride of Princeton from the great state of New Jersey with us. And Roberto Abramowitz is back. We've also got kicking it around today on NYCFC Views. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. NYCFC Views. Collins approaches the shot. And New York City wins the first MLS Cup on their first try. And they're going crazy. New York City is the champion. The sickest New York City FC podcast. It's going to be sick. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, I'm Glenn Crooks, radio commentator for New York City FC. Happy New Year. Hope you had a great holiday. We uh, took the week off. And uh, the last couple of shows, uh, Roberto Abramowitz has been absent because he underwent quadruple bypass surgery not that long ago. But he's looking good. He's fit, and he said, I'm ready to come back. So uh, where is he? I know Roberto's here, and uh, hey, man, you look great, Roberto. Welcome back, man. Uh, I don't know about that. I feel like I've aged about 30 years, but uh, aside from that, I mean, I'm feeling really well. Things have changed. They change weekly. So, yeah, I had a heart attack on November 15th, and I didn't know that I was having a heart attack, and I took myself to the hospital because I wasn't feeling well. My whole chest was hurting. It was first hurting up here. And then I ate something and then everything else started to hurt. And it just felt really weird. And I was like, yeah, I I shouldn't uh, just ignore this. And after a few hours of putting up with it, I took myself to New York Presbyterian. And um, while I was there in the emergency room, and I was really lucky that the emergency room was empty, uh, they took me right in. And within five minutes, they were doing electrocardiograms and working me up. And like about 20 minutes later, they came in and they're saying, we suggest you stay here. And uh, so I wound up staying in the hospital. They try to do a uh, stent replacement because uh, or a stent uh, operation because I had major blockage in three different arteries, 70, 80, and 90%. And uh, they try to do that. And I went through the operation and uh, they said, nope, no good. We can't do anything. So you need a bypass. And uh, a few days later, uh, I had a quadruple bypass. So that was on the 20th. That was five days after I went into the hospital. And then by the 25th, I was uh, let free and uh, free to roam around the city. So, uh, and little by little, I've been getting better. The, awesome, the changes, you know, between how I feel, you can't really feel them daily, but week to week, you really feel, you really feel the difference. So like in the first week, I couldn't, I could barely walk to the bathroom in the second week, I could walk down the block, but I needed help walking back up the block. You know, by the third week, I could handle that on my own. And now we're in week six, almost uh, week seven. And I think somewhere around week four, week five, I really felt like I turned the corner and I started to feel more normal. And uh, things have been working out okay. And uh, right. little by little coming back. And it's a six-week to two-month 
process between you know feeling better but while um i was doing all this and getting my heart you, you watched, know all better you and everything of, you watched a lot of soccer i mean i've never we have this group text and yeah I'm to myself my gosh roberto's watching more soccer than he ever has in his life because he's he can't get out of the house he's just watching games. it's hard yeah, i'm taking like so many meds and like so, some of them make me dizzy some of them make me you know dehydrated so like i'm drinking water like absolutely crazy i'm drinking i hope you get back over a quart of water every day if not more and uh well, that's good for you. yeah right. i i know i know but um I'm, I'm doing fine i'm doing okay i'm ready to do this i'm ready to come back to uh do uh the new york city fc radio in spanish i did not forget my spanish with a heart operation so that's all good and uh, I'm ready to rock and roll. I'm happy to be back here doing this with you. All right. Well, uh, and great to have you back. And while you all this was going on, uh, you probably weren't uh, able to properly celebrate uh, a contract extension uh, within the club. And this guy I got Kevin, one. Oh, that's so cool. Kevin Oto. Yeah, not me. Not oh. you or me. No. Oh. The, the guy who plays on the left side of uh, defense, uh, you know, ah. gets into the attack on occasion and. Uh, Kevin O'Toole. So we are uh, fortunate enough to have uh, Kevin join us uh, here on uh, NYCFC Views. Happy New Year, Kevin. How are you? Happy New Year, guys. I'm good. R Roberto, great to have you back. And you look great and glad to hear you're recovering well. So um, I'm glad you're here with us, too. Thank you. I'm glad to be here as well. Trust me, because that was one of the options of not being here in 2024. And I'm not talking about the podcast either. <laughs> All right, well, uh, that's uh, on, on that note. Uh, well, <laughs> hey, I'm happy that I'm here. No, I it's true. No, it's true. So, well, congratulations, first of all, Kevin, on, on the extension. It's uh, officially through 25 and an option in 2026. So, when you think about you got drafted in 22, and uh, you, know, you look back and you know how it all started, it, it took you a while. Uh, Campionas Cup, in fact which was in September, I think, before you actually, you know, made your mark, but it, it certainly has paid off. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, it did take a while in that first year. Um, and so I guess reflecting on that, I feel, you know, very fortunate, you know, less than a year or I guess a little over a year after that to be in the position I am now and being extended with the club. So, yeah, a lot definitely happened in the span of a year, and I'm just very thankful that it did and excited for the next few. Yeah. You came to the team as a forward, and yet now you're playing, well, first wing back, and now in a formation of four, you literally are playing defense and going forward. How, is, how has the adjustment been from going to forward and defense, and what, what have you been able to apply as a defender knowing how to play forward? Yeah, I think the modern game, you have to – kind of be an attacking player wherever you play on the pitch besides maybe center back or goalkeeper. And so I think transitioning into left back, I had some experience playing there growing up. In my academy days, I was playing two or three years as a left back. So I kind of had that in my back pocket, knowing a little bit about how to play the position, when to take your moments moving forward, and when to kind of sit in that back line and defend. So I think I had good experience um, playing as a left back there. And then I think going into college and learning more about the attack inside of the game really equipped me well to be kind of an attacking fullback in, in the MLS. So, um, yeah, I think 
it was really important developing my attacking game in my my four years at Princeton, and then I could fall back on some of the stuff that I learned in the academy as a left back as well. All right. Let's go back to uh, your earlier days. So you've got two Jersey boys here and one, one New Yorker, so uh, great to have you. Montclair, New Jersey native, went to Montclair High School, and um, and then formerly with the Red Bulls Academy, which is kind of interesting that you morphed from there uh, into New York City. But what was what club did you start in? Was it the was it Montclair? Yeah, I started at Montclair United, and oh, that was yeah. my, my I guess my first year with Montclair United was my U eight season, so eight years old, and um, I played a couple years at Montclair United, and then that team kind of merged into SDFC, which is short for Soccer Domain Football Club. Um, it was kind of like a group started by Ashley Hammond, who's kind of yep. like the soccer guy in Montclair. And so Montclair United shifted over to there. I was with SDFC for until I was 14 or 15 and then made the jump to uh, the Red Bull Academy system. I didn't know you played for Ashley Hammond. And uh, I've been in that little bubble that he built uh, many times, you know. Yeah, yeah. I grew up playing in that bubble. That was that was where it all started. So I was there. My first coach with Montclair United was a guy named Ali Bain. And then after him, I had Kieran Patrick for probably like eight years. He was also um, kind of like my camp counselor when I was going to, um, you know, <laughs> kids, you know, summer camps growing up. So I had Kieran for almost like ten to fifteen years of my development, which was amazing. And then, and then, yeah, that was that was my time with SDFC. Good. Well, let's kind of notice how excited Glenn gets every time he mentions anything New Jersey. It's sort of like Montclair, and he gets like so excited that he can mention something hey. New Jersey. We New Yorkers, we don't have to do that. New Jersey, um, it's the six, Roberto, it's the six degrees of soccer. Anything you talk about, you it go in soccer, it comes back to Jersey. You and you mention any name, anything, and I'll bring uh, it that. Back that to is you. true. I, yeah. I will absolutely, I will absolutely give you that. What are the differences as you came up through the Red Bull Academy? Uh, and, and I know that obviously you came and basically just fit into the first team in New York City. But what are, what are the major differences between both places that, uh, from an insider that you can give us? Sure. I think in the academy at Red Bull, I think a lot of the focus in the, my early days there was kind of a possession style and just playing, playing a lot of small-sided games and training and playing a lot of possession-oriented games. And then I think as you grew up in that system, it became um, more important to kind of emulate the first team style of play. And so there was definitely a focus on um, the high press style, um, getting fullbacks into the attack, playing very direct. And that's sort of when it evolved. I would say after my first year of U16, I, I played two years of U18. And once I was into the U18 um, team, it was, it was kind of about um, – kind of developing that that first team style of play in the academy. So yeah, like I said, direct wingers, fullbacks overlapping, high press. Um, so that's that was kind of the progression there. And then obviously in the first team in NYCFC, we have, um, you know, a very, a very clear style of, you know, moving the ball, keeping possession, being direct when necessary. And I think also applying um, some of that high press as well. I wanted to ask you. So your next step was was Rutgers, but before, excuse me, Princeton. I'm sorry, that was a wrong Jersey school. <laughs> a major faux pas. I'm sorry. I was at Rutgers. You were at Princeton. Uh, the uh, when you play Red Bull, now how many of the guys on the other side when you're playing in this derby did you play within the academy? Yeah, there's there was a few of them. I think 
last year, the only one that I was really playing with consistently in the academy was Omir Fernandez. Um, obviously, this offseason, he's moved on to Colorado Rapids. Um, so he was kind of the only academy guy that I'd played with. But I was also in the Red Bull second team system while I was in high school. And so Ryan Mara, who's who's the goalie over at Red Bull, um, was my goalie on the second team. And then guys who have moved on since then, like obviously Tyler Adams I played with on the second team there, Aaron Long, um, Derek Etienne. Uh, so like a lot of these guys that are still around the MOS um, and have moved moved beyond it are um, some guys that I played with there. Did you play for Manfred Shellshite at all? Yes, I did. Oh. I did. Yeah, Manny was Manny was around the academy and he he joined in a session or two here and there. Yeah, that's right. That doesn't. Manny's everywhere, isn't he? I mean, yeah. if you play soccer in Jersey, at some point you have to go through Manny, don't you? Yes, it's yeah. a rite of passage. It is. It is. <laughs> it is. Well, Roberto Princeton. I, when I hear about these Ivy Leagues and the and these guys uh, can manage their academics and their the athletic side, I have to tell you, Kevin, what was it like? I remember when I coached at Rutgers, we would uh, on the women's side, we would play uh, Princeton. One year we played them, and they just looked, you know, ragged. They just weren't up to speed. You know, it was like I was I was really intrigued. I I, I think it was Julie Shackford told me afterwards. Go, yeah, it's midterms week. He said they they've been up all night studying for like the last two weeks. I said, all right, well we'll have to schedule. We have to always schedule during midterms week. Uh, did it go that way for you as well? Somewhat, I would say. I think my freshman year, I was kind of intimidated by the academics, and so I was putting in hours late at night when I shouldn't have been before important games. Um, and once I realized that I did not have to be doing that, especially not before games, I think that's when when it got better. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, I mean, I think also part of that is that the Ivy leagues have a very short preseason compared to the rest of rest of the country. And so we always enter the season with only two weeks of preparation and one scrimmage before our first match. And most other teams have played three or four scrimmages and have been training for four to six weeks before. That's right. So we always have a bit of a later start. And in my four years there, we always got off to really slow starts. Like, we never won the opening game of our season ever in our four years there. And we usually started the season like maybe one win from our first five, but then we'd go on like 10 win runs to end the season. And so it was just very clearly just like a little bit late in this like seasonal development. And um, I think that was also part of it on top of the studying. <laughs> well, as long as you live your, you had to win your Ivy matches because that, and, and this year, because the regular season champion was the one that went through, but this year they, they had a tournament. Are yeah. you aware of that, right? They had the, for the first yeah. time ever, Ivy's had a postseason tournament. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it worked. So when I was there, we ended up winning two Ivy league titles and I think the other two seasons we were out of the top four. So we like, at least in my time there, we got really lucky in that, it really favored us to have no tournament because we ended up on top two of those years. And then the other two years, we wouldn't even have qualified through the tournament anyway. So um, I'm a proponent of the non tournament kind of style, but that's only really because it worked out in our favor. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I get that. Absolutely. I get that. Hey, um, going into this, going into this season, does is preparation any different than it has been for, for the other two seasons? Uh, that you've been here, and, and especially because of how last season ended, and there was no uh, there was no postseason for New York City FC. Yeah, I think after after the uh, 
the Chicago game, which ended our season, um, and then leading into the Noche de Or Miami game, we had a few weeks of really intense training leading up to that Miami game. And then there was an optional week of training after that as well. And I think that was kind of new, partially because the season ended in towards the end of October and we had this time that um, we could use to train. But also because of the way the season went, we didn't want to just, you know, pack up our bags and, and everyone go off to, to where they came from. Um, so I think that was a really important period for us to kind of regroup as a team and kind of um, refocus our goals for the next season and just like get a really strong output from everyone in the team and like a really great buy. And I think that'll be a really good foundation for, for going into next um, in, into this preseason in, in, in just a few short days now. And I think, I mean, I can speak for myself and a few other guys that I, I know who have been doing stuff in the offseason. I feel super motivated um, to have a really strong preseason um, and to make sure, you know, we don't have any early season season lapses and, and get results on the board early on. And so um, that's kind of where I've been focusing my energy and making sure I'm coming in super fit and really strong to, to get the year going. So for the past two seasons, you've started off basically on the bench and then you won the position. Do you feel that this year this is your position to lose going into the next season? Yeah, I think so. And I, I kind of felt like that last year as well. And obviously there's offseason moves that get made. And so you never really know the full the full squad until maybe March. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have that perspective going into this year, I think. It's it's kind of my turn to to own the spot and and make sure that I, I don't let it slip in preseason and I'm gonna go in and, and work like you know the spot isn't granted to me because that's that's the way I know how to how to make it stick and so that'll be kind of my my approach to it in preseason and yeah I I can't wait to get going. Yeah, I don't think the club would have signed you to that extension had they uh, felt otherwise. But I, I, I have it in front of me. I want to go over like what it's been like for you. So you, you get drafted in 22. You literally don't play. You played in the U.S. Open Cup against Rochester. But otherwise, you don't play until the Campionas Cup final, which what a great you know 2-0 win over Atlas and get to celebrate that. Then you play the next six games through the playoffs, uh, start every game. Then 2023, last year, you played 35 minutes in the first seven matches and did not play in four of those matches. Then you started five of the next six. Then you didn't start in any of the next five. Then you had a string of 12 matches where you only got three starts. And, uh, and on September 20th, you played an MLS Next Pro match for 90 minutes, yeah. which you know could seem like a demotion, but I'm sure it was more like you know keep, keep your fitness. And then you started the last five matches to close close out the regular season. So it's really been wh – why do you think it's gone that way? Do you do you sense that you weren't as consistent as you would like to be? You know, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. I thought – I felt like I was, you know, training well over, over the course of the season, especially in that uh, – in preseason and beginning part of the season. I thought I was really hitting my stride and felt like I was in really good form. And then obviously we, we, we brought in Brian Cooper and he's a great player and, um, you know, he, he earned his minutes as well. And so, yeah, it was just a roller coaster of a season in terms of that position. It was like Brian was in and then I was in and then he was in again and I was back in. And so I think it just the way it shook out with what the timing of our results throughout the year and who was kind of hitting form. And so 
I don't think, I don't view it as, oh, I wasn't performing in this part of the season or that part of the season. I just view it as more um, a reaction to what was happening in terms of the team's results. And, you know, I, I live with that and I look forward to hopefully um, being more consistent next year in, in my, my playing time. But Roberto, I just, just to follow up, it's like, okay, uh, you know, those are, you know, it's so hard to remain confident and, and also trust that the coach believes in you sometimes when you're either inconsistently playing or not playing at all. And I, I wonder, um, I, I can appreciate any athlete who um, maintains a, a, a level of, you know, working hard at it, not getting down. And, you know, did, did you encounter those sorts of things? And, and, and if so, how, how do you overcome that stuff? Yeah, of course. I think that's probably the hardest part of the game at the professional level. It's something that I think everyone before they turn pro never really encounters in their youth career because they're always seen as kind of the guy on their team if, yeah. if they end up in the pro ranks. And so once you once you turn pro, like nothing's ever granted to you. And I think that was a big part of the mental challenge in my first year and maybe why I didn't play for so long was because I had to find my own ways to stay consistent and even keeled. Um, and I kind of just fell back on working extremely hard in training and just being a super high output guy because that's, at the end of the day, the one thing you can control is your your work ethic. And so I think that's what helped me in that first season. And it's something that I, I try to fall back on if, if things aren't going my way in terms of playing time on the field. So, I yeah, it's like definitely a, a challenge. I'm sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were – you hadn't finished. Finish up. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I was just—I was just going to say it is—it is a challenging part of the game. But I think over the the last couple of years, I've I've learned some of the some of the ways to to get around it. So I have a, basically a two prong question based on the same thing. When you speak with Nick and the other coaches, and maybe through an exit interview, more than anything else, at the end of the season, uh, what are the areas that, or did you have a conversation with Nick or the coaches about what are the areas that they believe that you need to improve on uh, to become a next level player? And then on the other hand, what are the areas that you believe, okay, that you need to improve on to become a next level player, an entrenched starter and somebody becoming even better than you are at this point? Yeah, one of the things that the coaches highlighted in the beginning of the season, for sure, when I was transitioning from a left wing back into the left back role was kind of developing my my defensive ability, especially in the one on one areas. Um, that was something they wanted to see me develop before kind of getting, you know, significant minutes in the season. And I think that's something I improved a lot at um, in training and in the minutes that I was given early in the season. Um, so from a de defensive perspective, that's something that, you know, I'm going to continue to build on and, and work hard at um, because in a four back, it's more important to be um, a defensive minded player than it is in as a wing back. Um, and I think personally, some of the things that I want to work on, I mean, I think getting up and down the pitch is like one of my biggest strengths and I can, you know, overlap our wingers and get crosses in the box. And I think, I get a lot of good service in the box, um, but I definitely want to want to add to that and get um, getting better crossing positions and picking out guys and making sure I'm getting getting lots of assists next season as well. I think that's where where outside backs are really contributing these days and in, in, in getting getting the ball in the box and getting assists on the board. So that's something that I want to develop at as well. 
One thing that stood out to me that your first year, when you when you finally started getting some time, I was talking to Nick, and the one thing he uh, he he loves anybody that just wants to talk football, you know, and and uh, he uh, put you in a category uh, uh, on a high level of just wanting to talk about the game and watch film and this and that. So is that the way it, uh, you've always approached the game? And and how much can you watch to help yourself improve? I mean, what's the what's the level of, of what you watch of yourself to uh, to get better? Yeah, I'm definitely one of those guys who comes home after training and watches all the training footage um, just to see, pick up like little things about positioning, about, you know, the way you look on the ball, like positioning defensively. So that's something I've just kind of created a habit of is when I get home from training, just watching the film over. And then also every game that I'm in, I'm, I'm watching um, just to pick up little things and, and, and try to make little adjustments to, to my game and, and positioning. And then, one of the luxuries of, you know, having the schedule that we do is that we do have, you know, time on weekends and also in the afternoons when the Champions League is on to watch to watch European matches. And that's something I've also made a routine just because I, I love the game and I love um, love watching it. But it is good to, to learn from some of the best in my position. Um, yeah, so I, I made that a habit as well. Who do you favor watching or who's your team? And you don't have to say Manchester City. You don't have to, okay? I, I do I do like Arsenal and I, I love watching Sinchenko. He he plays the left back position a bit differently than um, than we play it. We sometimes go with like pull the outside back inside and play him kind of as a as a um, a pivot six. But um, I just love his kind of calmness on the ball and the way he approaches the game in the attacking third. Um, he's a guy that. Um, kind of like makes killer passes, but also simplifies it and like sees his job as just like giving the ball to the wingers and letting them do their thing. Um, and so I think that's, we've got, you know, super quality wingers on our team. And I think if I can add that to my game and just, you know, getting whoever's playing on the left, whether it's Tales or Andres or, or Julian on the ball as much as I can, then I've done my job as well. In the past couple of years, you've played with Alexander Callens, then Maxime Chanot, and then finish the season with Burke Risa. Is there any differences of playing with each of these players uh, on how you approach your game? Yeah, I when I was playing with with Kyans, he was kind of the first center back that I stepped on on the field with um, in an NYCFC kit, and he was just, I think, the best guy that I could have played next to in that first year. He was always in my ear and like encouraging and positive and. Um, just giving me like really good energy throughout all my games and kind of making me feel a sense of calmness while I was on the field with him because I knew that he would cover anything behind me and he was always going to, you know, give me the ball in a good spot. So he was, um, I, I think I owe a lot of um, my success in, in that first year um, just to playing beside him because he was such a great influence and leader um, on the field for me. And then Maxime obviously is a club legend and he was always um, eager to give, uh, little bits of advice to to some of the young guys off the field, and um, he also just kind of in, instilled a load of confidence in me. And that um, he kind of told me before that first Campeones Cup game that you know your your situation can only get better um, from starting in this game. Like you're coming from not having played a single minute, and you're entering a really big game. And if it goes well, then you're gonna 
kind of kickstart your career. And so that was kind of what his message to me before the game. And um, I definitely valued that. And then Burke is a guy who came in towards the end of the season, but was a big voice in the locker room basically from day one. He, uh, he has a load of experience playing in Europe, but also is just like a very easygoing guy who um, connects with players super well. And we've developed a great relationship. And I think that helps our partnership on the field. Um, we're both really excited to be playing with each other and, and getting opportunities together on the field. And so I think that's um, kind of big, a big, been a big boost in, in the way that um, we kind of connect with each other on the pitch. Awesome, man. Well, Roberto, got anything else? We got to let this guy go. He's, you know, he's got some film to watch. Yeah, I'm sure. He, <laughs> I'm sure he does. Arsenal doesn't play today. I don't think. No, right? I don't think not today. Not today. Okay, not good. Today. Well, I'll, we'll have to talk about the Ar Arsenal Spurs uh, little rivalry that's going on. I heard it's, you know, it's a big deal. <laughs> it is a bit of a big deal, isn't it? <laughs> well, what is there any any Princeton Yale stuff going on between you and Andres Jason? Do you guys have little competitions or anything? So, the, who's the Ivy League champion? You know. Yeah, there was um, for the for the match this year, Princeton versus Yale. We had this kind of inside bet that if Princeton won, that Andres had to repost Princeton's um, game-winning post on his Instagram story, and if Yale won, I had to repost Yale's. And I'm pretty sure the game ended in a tie, so we there was a bit of an impasse there. We didn't have to do anything. Um, <laughs> we'll see if it comes around next year too. I. I really don't want to do that, but I think it's kind of a fun bet to have. So, yeah, yeah you'll have to carry that one over for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kevin, uh, congratulations again on the new contract, and uh, good luck as uh, preseason gets underway uh, shortly. And um, all the best to you. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great being on. Take care, guys. All right, Ben. Take care. Thank you so much, and the best of luck to you. Well, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, he's a good guy, you know, and uh, you, good guys. Uh, you hope that uh, things go well. And uh, it's uh, I mean, that that contract, what a huge statement. And uh, I'm sure his parents are delighted, you know, that he's uh, he's staying home. And uh, yeah, really, really nice story. And uh, great to have Kevin. You remember uh, uh, Stephen Turnbull? I know you do. Uh, I, I've kind of, of stayed in touch with him because I, I was wondering Same where here. he might go. So he. He signed with uh, Rhode Island. That's that new USL championship team, uh, the one that Michael Parkhurst, the mm -hmm. former MLS defender, bit of a legendary figure. Uh, yeah. he, he's one of the co-owners. So, so Stephen will be playing in the USL championship this year, which, uh, which is excellent. Micha Ilinich. So uh, shout out to Hudson River Blue. They posted that he got selected for the, his first full team call-up for Serbia. And they're playing the U.S., on January, is it January 20th? Yeah, January 20th. In San Antonio. Yeah, so um, wonderful there. And then I saw New York City post today on their Twitter that uh, today is the anniversary of uh, him uh, signing his first contract with New York City. That uh, is really cool. And uh, let's see, what else is going on? There's a, there's a million MLS transactions uh, that have happened, and we'll go through a couple of them because some of them are interesting. One that just happened today is that uh, Nicolás Lodeiro uh, signed with Orlando City. So uh, that had been rumored to be going on, and now it's been official. So he leaves Seattle, who's basically cleaning house, uh, and uh, went to Orlando. Demir Kralak, also ex-Seattle uh, now, uh, signed with Vancouver for a lot less money than he was making in Orlando. So, uh, I mean, rather in Seattle. But so he stays in Cascadia. 
but that's an important uh yes. you know I, I like vancouver they're fun to watch they really are they have, a, they have they're fun to watch and uh, they have a fun coach in vanny sartini and why don't we officially do this let's cover the rest of this by kicking it around what do you say let's go Well, I think the biggest one of these, uh, there's been a lot of news and um, there's some that's still uh, reported on. Um, Tom Bogert, another Jersey guy, by the way, uh, is is doing an unbelievable <laughs> job, um, you know, putting things out uh, to, to keep us posted during this uh, time of year when uh, all these things are happening, all this movement. But I think Miles Robinson to FC Cincinnati, I was... Yeah, I don't know. I was startled by that one. Maybe there was a rumor out there. I don't know. Maybe there were reports. I, I don't remember. Uh, I was kind of out of it uh, during the vacation period a little bit. I wasn't as in touch. But so Miles Robinson and Matt Miazga, the two central defenders, uh, and Miazga, you know, in his in his more natural uh, right center position uh, with uh, Miles Robinson next to him. But that's uh, boy FC Cincinnati supporter shield winners. Boy, they really tagged on there. They did. By the way, I, I just got information just, just now as we're doing this. New York City has made a trade. How about wow. that? All Alfredo right. Morales got traded to uh, San Jose. So Alfredo Morales wasn't in the picture for uh, next season uh, for New York City. And they traded him for a third round pick in the 2026 MLS Super Draft. So uh, Morales was still looking for a place to play. I guess he wanted to stay here in the States, and uh, he wasn't in the New York City FC picture. And uh, now it's announced that he got traded to San Jose. So we wish Alfredo uh, all the best uh, out Absolutely. in San Jose. It's going to be harder for his father now to follow his games because his father lives in Berlin, and he used Another to listen to our broadcast all the time in Spanish over there in Berlin. But, you know, there's a six-hour difference between New York City and Berlin. Now it's nine hours. Uh, so good luck, Gallo, uh, listening to, uh, to games uh, of Alfredo. Well, the thing about yeah, it's that's going to be nice. Uh, I'm sure he'll figure it out. But the, sure. thing, the thing I most remember about Alfredo, and it's too bad he, he had some injuries that really curtailed his performances at times. But during that MLS Cup run, um, in the playoffs, he played all but one minute in the playoffs. And I just remember him being such a, an important factor. And, um, you know, the, his uh, time spent at New York City as a leader as well uh, during a period of time when, when all, it seemed like the entire leadership left. Guys like Sean Johnson, uh, Anton Tinnerholm, Tati Castellanos, uh, and then Maxime Cheneau. And Alfredo was a, uh, certainly he was a voice of reason. And uh, we both had a chance to talk to him quite a bit during his time. So um, good for him. Very happy for him. Yeah, I I'm happy for him. Uh, I hope he gets a chance to play regularly, which, you know, in a very crowded New York City midfield, it, it became hard. And even though sometimes, you know, he took one for the team and played out of position as a central defender, you know, trying to do things that uh, maybe weren't suited for him, but helping the team out as best as uh, as best as he could. Total team player, uh, and uh, we absolutely wish him uh, wish him the best. So Miles Robinson goes to Cincinnati, but then Brandon Vasquez. Uh, uh, the report is he may be going to Monterey. I don't know if that deal yes. is done yet. 
Um, and uh, the other ones that uh, stand out to me, Roberto, and, and uh, Zach Steffen leaving Europe yeah. in Manchester City, in essence, to uh, come back to MLS uh, or come back to the States and play in MLS for uh, Colorado. Uh, yeah, he was yeah Co Colorado making a lot of moves because not only do they get him, but they got Georgi Mihailovic as yeah. well, yeah. who was out of favor in AZ Eichmar. He played a year there. He was starting a lot. But uh, I guess at some point uh, he'd lost favor with the coach and they basically told him that uh, he wasn't, you know, going to preseason, you know, to not preseason, but midseason training because they have a break. And uh, the team went off. They left him behind. And uh, I guess that's because he was getting traded. So uh, he's back in uh, in the U.S. So it's yep. weird. Right. Um, because here's a guy who's been a U.S. national team player. You know, maybe a little bit fringe at national team player, but still. And um, you would hope that maybe he would try to stick it out in Europe. But then we always have this thing that we talk about, right? Is it better to be a bench player in Europe than it is a starter in MLS? And uh, I guess he made the decision that it's better to be a starter in MLS. And Colorado trying to retool being, you know, one of the worst teams in the league last year. And um, so, you know, they've got him. Uh, who else did they bring in? They, they brought in a couple of different people. So, well, I, uh, I just have, yeah, I just uh, most recently, Stefan and, and Mihailovic. Um, right. Then some of the others, Roberto, I, I can't remember who else they brought in, but they are the lowest spending team in MLS, too, most of the most years or, or right near the bottom. Uh, LAFC, Hugo uh, Lloris, which is really wild, on a $350,000 salary. That's pretty right. incredible, and uh, it's he's been at. Well, he had uh, fallen out of favor in Spurs as he was basically iced out in Spurs. He wasn't going to play there anymore, so he was looking for a different opportunity. Obviously, he's not going to make the six million uh, or eight million dollars a year that he was making over there. He comes to the states where he's going to be able to play regularly, uh, and I guess part of the reason that this deal was done is because Maxime Cropot who is a fantastic goalkeeper, okay? And you can you can basically, you know, put him up there with a Carlos Velas and everybody else on, on the team is one of the major contributors to a team winning a championship and then at the same time making it to MLS Cup again was the fact that he played as well as he did. But for what I hear, he was asking for a major, major raise and LAFC wasn't about to give it to him. So uh, they get Hugo Lloris. Who maybe isn't as good as Hugo Lloris was maybe two, three years ago at 37 years old. But, you know, goalies can play very well into their upper okay. 30s and if hey. not more. Well, here's what you know about him. He played in the 2018 World Cup and the 2022 World Cup. They won one of them and you know, they were in the finals in the other. And uh, most capped player in French history. And uh, I, I, that's, uh, I think that's a, a wonderful pickup for LAFC, knowing that uh, they weren't going to be able to keep Crepeau. Tejan Buchanan, first Canadian to play in Serie A. He's at Inter Milan. He didn't leave from MLS, but uh, we know him uh, uh, and, and what he did up at uh, New England during his time here out of Syracuse University. And then a couple of coaching things, uh, Roberto. Uh, Bogert, I believe it's Bogert, reporting that Laurent Courtois is going to be named the CF Montreal coach. Uh, yes. And, he, and you, you mentioned, uh, we, we talked about a couple of goalkeepers there, uh, and Patrick Schulte, he, he played under Courtois in, on the two team, and then Schulte pushed Aloy Room right out of, right out of the room uh, this yes, year for did. Columbus. 
And Mo Farsi got a lot of time, Jason Russell Rowe, and they all played under Courtois on the Crew 2 team that won the MLS Next Pro Championship, the inaugural one, uh, back in uh, 22. And they were in the finals, I think, this year. So uh, he, uh, I've actually talked to him at length just on my show on SiriusXM. I happened to speak to him. And I, the one... I, the one thing that always sticks out to me, I liked him because he, he really got it. You know, what, what his purpose was on that two team is to develop players for the first team, which he did. But he said New York City FC, uh, their two team under Matt Pilkington should have been the team of the year this year, even though they didn't make the playoffs because they play their 15 and 16 year olds, which he says, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Get these young yes. experience. So I, I do Absolutely. remember him saying that, you know. And then Troy Lassane is important. I agree. Troy Lassane is at uh, DC United. How about that? Yeah, uh, Bruce Arena wanted the job, but uh, based on other things that I've heard as well, is that uh, Bruce may have priced himself out of the possibility. I'm sure Troy Lassane gets in there a little bit cheaper than uh, <laughs> Bruce know. does. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I'll tell you, the referees are. I, I, I don't want to say anything bad about Troy Lassane because I have nothing bad to say about him, and I don't want the comparison to 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 sound bad, okay? But if you have a chance to get Bruce Arena, right, and you don't, right? Bruce Arena is a freaking legend. He won, uh, was it three titles at DC? Uh, what in the first basically almost four years, right? It was uh, they, they were the team to beat. They, they've been a great team wherever he's been. He's made teams better, no doubt. What does it say about DC United wanting to win and invest in that franchise? The fact that you've got an opportunity to bring somebody like him back and don't do it. And there's nothing to do with Troy. It's just, it's just really about Bruce. And that's what I meant to say about, I don't mean to demean anything that Troy's done. And, yeah. you know, hopefully he has a long and successful career in DC and in MLS and Europe or wherever else he wants to go. But uh, what, what does it say about that team? I mean, are they ever going to really pull the trigger and become the D.C. United that began in MLS in 1996, where they were the team to emulate in this league. I, uh, my Troy was saying, uh, look, I, look, I followed him when he was at New Mexico United, and uh, he, he was a popular figure there, did a great job there uh, in, in the USL Championship. But the referees have a difficult time with him. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. he... Sat out a game this year. He was one of the yeah. I, that guy Heinze uh, from when he was with Atlanta. I, that, remember, yeah. I don't remember. We he didn't. He wasn't uh, on the uh, in the technical area for a New York City match because he had a yellow card suspension. You get three yellow cards and you're out as a coach. Well, Lassane I think got one of those this year, and he is. And we see enough referees on the road, so the, the, and you can tell when you look at somebody in the in their you know, right in their eyes. And we always ask, we always ask the referees, who's the biggest pain in the ass in the league? Sometimes they tell us, sometimes they don't. But it's uh, it's interesting to hear. And he, It's uh, always a good conversation. We get some good laughs out of that. Yeah. Well, Troy Lissane would might be awarded the trophy uh, for uh, pain in the arse. But, but I think he's uh, from Maybe a Maybe that will sell tickets in D.C. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. And Go see uh, Benteke and Lissane. <laughs> yeah. And I guess to, just to wrap it up, Roberto, and first of all, I want to say it's wonderful to have you back. You do look great. So if you look Thank in the you. mirror and you don't like the way you look, then you, you need to get another mirror because you look great, man. And uh, I think that 
I just wanted to mention Gotham FC because yes. here's a club. Here's a club that won a title, and they're bringing in boatloads of good players, starting with Crystal Dunn, and and now Tierna Davidson, Davidson who yeah. might not her name might not resonate as much with with people who don't follow it closely, but she is an excellent excellent central defender. Probably, if she were healthy, would have started at this past World Cup for the women, and and, and might have made a difference. Um, yes. She is a top-of-the-line central defender. Done. Uh, she's returning home. Interesting story with her. She played for Paul Riley at Albertson. Uh, she was on that, that club team, Albertson Fury, and Riley, um, who has been suspended for life uh, due to some, well, I, I don't know how to classify it other than just absolutely. Inappropriate uh, moments with players. Yeah, yeah so it's. How's uh, that? Yeah, and uh, I I do know that Gotham. Um, I don't know if this will publish, but they, they've got a couple more players coming in. I don't know who yes, they are, uh, but they're well. The Athletic had reported uh, a couple of players. Now I'm trying to remember uh, who they were, but they were like first team, you know, first team national team players. Uh, I can't remember right now the names, then I can picture them. Uh, the girl who has the, the socks all the way up. She's like one of the best in the world. Oh my god, I can't remember. Um, I'm, I'm not, blanking right now. Look, I'm Rose, blaming my Rose Lavelle, Rose Lavelle. Yes, Rose Lavelle was one of them. Thank you. Uh, Rose Lavelle. And then um, let's see. Who put it out there? Meg Linehan, of course, because Meg uh, puts everything out when she's not skiing now in New Hampshire or Maine or wherever she moved to. She used well, to be my neighbor up here at uh, in Washington Heights. Well, Inwood, actually. All right. Well, um, you know, she moved closer to the mountains so she can ski. That's nice. Well, I can't see the other one. and um, I, I can't see either, but it's a national team player as well. Uh, I mean, big deal. People should get tickets to see Gotham FC this year. I mean, when you see, like, in uh, LAFC, LAFC, Angel City get 20,000 people and San Diego get over 20,000 people, with, with the team that Yael Arabach is putting out there and getting and putting together over here at Red Bull Arena – People should turn out in droves. That is going to be an absolute fun team to watch. I, I managed to get out to a couple of games a year. I want to do more. And uh, I, I think people should really, really look into investing into getting well, the, season tickets. Just to wrap this up, the, uh, Tierna Davidson said it all. And Juan Carlos Amaros, who I've had uh, three discussions with, I've gone to their training sessions. He's been on my SiriusXM show you know, just really an unbelievable coach. And I think you saw it, but he develops players. He develops teams. Tierna Davidson said something about their style, which, and she said that right at the top, that that's one of the main reasons that she's coming as a free agent to Gotham is because of the way they play. What a statement that is. And the fact that these players are coming in and they have to stay within a certain budget limitation too, some of these players probably could get more money elsewhere, but they're coming to Gotham because they've got a coach that's going to make them better. And I think that's, a, you know, I think that's a pretty, pretty large statement. Roberto, great to see you. Thanks so much to Kevin O'Toole, who was on at the uh, top of the broadcast with us uh, talking NYCFC and left back and wing back in Princeton and New Jersey. That's what I, can I tell you. So for Roberto Abramowitz, I'm Glenn Crooks on NYCFC Views. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the sick podcast NYCFC Views on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.